We're going to continue in our uh, Gospel of Matthew as we look through uh, the Sermon of the Mount. We're at the end of the Sermon of the Mount right now. So Matthew's looking at chapter 6, starting at verse 19. These words are similar words should be found in the scriptures. It says this, Don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But stir up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor, nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. The eye is a lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Since either he will hate one and love the other, and he, he will be, um, excuse me, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Somebody say amen. amen. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Consider the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they, than, than they are? Can any of you add one moment into his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the fields grow. They don't labor or, or spin, uh, spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God closes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O you of little faith? So don't worry, saying, what will we eat, or what will we drink, or what will we wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. If you've been trekking with us for, for any amount of time, you know that, we, like, as I said, we've been going through the Sermon of the Mount. And in the Sermon of the Mount, it was you. This is a sermon that Jesus gave on a mountain, probably one of his greatest sermons he's, he's given in all of, all of Scripture. And it was used by Jesus to expose our hearts and, and also to invite us into a greater dependency upon him. It was used by Jesus to expose our hearts and cause us and invite us into a greater dependency upon him. In Matthew chapter five, verses 21 through 30, we talked about the emotional aspects of our humanity where Jesus says um, there that you've heard it said that you should not murder. And whoever will murder will be subject to, to judgment. He says, but I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. You also heard him say in chapter 5 that you have heard it said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. He moves on to chapter 6 and talks about spiritual aspects. He talks about spiritual hypocrisy. 
He talks about how we desire to have the applause of others and not just the applause of God in, in three specific ways, in how we give, in how we pray, and also in how we fast. Well, now in chapter 6 at the very end, now that he's talked talk to us about the emotional aspects of anger and lust, he's talked about the spiritual aspects of not doing things in front of men in order to be accepted by them. Now he gets to the physical aspects. He gets to the material aspect. And here, the key thing that I think that Jesus wants us to hear and to know is this, is that our anxiety reveals much more than we believe. That our anxiety reveals much more than we believe. And it's my hope and my prayer that as a result of us going through the passage today, that Jesus will reveal the heart of anxiety to us as a church, and that, he would, and, and that we will welcome his invitation into his kingdom economics, into his kingdom economics. It says kingdom works in a certain way, and we need to know how that way works if we want to operate within the kingdom that God um, is ruling over. So if King Jesus was here before you today, this is, this is the little adage I think he would share with us if he was here with us today. If you want to be worry-free, learn to depend on me. If you want to be worry-free, learn to depend on me. I'm going to start at the very end, actually in verse 34. Because in verse 34, I think this is one of the key passages of what we're looking at. Listen to these words here in 34, chapter, uh, ver chapter 6, verse 34. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. I think I can get an amen right there. Amen. In this passage, in verses 25 through 34, Jesus gives us seven reasons not to worry. He gives us seven reasons not to worry. In verse 25, he tells us not to worry because God can be trusted with the details of life. He can be trusted with the intimate details of everything that he has um, provided. He knows not just what he's created, he also knows how to sustain it. In verse 26, he tells us not to worry because worry has a way of consuming our thoughts. In verse 27, he says that worry actually damages your health. In verse 28 through 30, he says that God does not ignore our needs. He's not an ignorant God. He knows what we need even before we ask of it from him. Verses 31 and 32 actually show the, the reason why we worry. He says, worry shows lack of faith in God himself. Verse 33 tells us not to worry. It tells us that worry keeps us from being courageous or being bold in this world. And then lastly, in verse 34, the verse we just looked at, it tells us that today's worry is enough for today. Keep the main thing the main thing. As my grandfather used to say growing up, Major on the, uh, don't major on the minor. Don't major on the minor. Here in this passage of scripture, what, Christ, what God is doing is that he is helping us to see that our heart shapes every aspect of our being. And Jesus is appealing to, to every aspect of our humanity, as we just said. The emotional side, the spiritual side, and now the physical side. And he, he, he outlines, the outline of this passage simply goes like this. Verses 19 through 21 talks about what we're called to, what we're called to do. And that can be summarized really in verse 21, that for where your treasure is, there your heart also will be. 
In verses 22 to 23, he tells us why we are called to it. There's a particular reason why we're called to it. He talks about the eye and how the eye is a lamp of the body. And then he also talks at the end of verse 24 that you can't serve both God and money. And then lastly, in verses 24 through 34, he tells us how. How do we know that we're actually doing what God has called us to do? How do we know and how, how do we not know what he's called us to do? Before we get into the passage, I want to talk to you a little bit, a little bit about the heart of anxiety. You see, there's a difference between anxiety and concern. In our broken world, there are concerns that we should have. There's concerns that you probably are sitting in your chair with right now, thinking about even as I'm, 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 I'm trying to give you this sermon as best I can. Concern and anxiety, I don't want to conflate those two things. Concern are things that, um, that, that are in our life that are real, and usually in the concern, it actually calls us to take action upon those things. That is a real thing. If you have a health issue, if your child has, um, if you're concerned about your child's uh, having a learning disability or needing learning assistance in order to obtain something, some type of, um, some type of academic, uh, academic curriculum to know in school, that is a concern that you actually take action on. But we all need to admit that that is not what, we, what, is, what the Bible is talking about here as anxiety. Anxiety is something that actually paralyzes you. It causes you to, to be in a state of fear, in a state of apprehension. It, where, where concern actually moves you into action, fear, anxiety actually paralyzes you and causes you to immobility and inaction. So we need to know what we're talking about here. We're talking about that type of thing, the thing that causes you, that, that you, you fear the most, You're, the thing that causes you um, to be not being able to move on a thing or actually not knowing how to move on a thing so you just freeze as a result. And here, by his graciousness, Jesus shows us what the heart of, anxiety, of our anxiety is. Look at me in verse 21. He says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, what he's saying here is that a person's heart belongs to what he or she most treasures. A person's heart belongs to what he or she most treasures. So think about that for a minute. For a minute. People who are preoccupied with retirement and, and getting that good nest egg, what, what, what are they treasuring? Well, they're treasuring security. They're treasuring financial stability in that way. People who are preoccupied, and when I mean preoccupied, this is always in your mind. You can't stop thinking about it. You actually um, are, are afraid if this thing is actually taken away. Um, ease and rest leads, our, the treasure from that is actually comfort, an aspect where you want to be, feel comfortable or be in a comfortable situation. People who are preoccupied with looking attractive and looking their best. Now listen, you, it's okay to look your, your best. It's okay to look good. But we're not talking about just wanting to look good, but if you actually are doing it in order to gain attention from others, and if someone don't tell you you look good, you might be upset with somebody, even today. If you are preoccupied with obtaining power or having, um, having positions of power, then you, what you treasure most is actually control and authority. And here is the problem with anxiety. Here is what we're afraid of um, in, our, in, in our most anxious, in our most anxious uh, settings. We're afraid of being vulnerable with others and accepting our own limitations. Part of our problem with anxiety is this, is that we, it's a rejection. Anxiety is a rejection of our identity as creatures with inherent limitations. 
In other words, we make ourselves too big. We, 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 we think that we should be able to handle certain things. We think we should be able to, to, to control certain things. And um, we get upset and we get angry when we're not able to do that. We're afraid of being vulnerable with others and we're afraid of our own limitations in our human bodies, the things we can't control of. And sometimes it freezes us, causes us to be um, immobile. The second thing that we're trying to avoid is not making too much of God. We don't want to depend, our dependence upon God. Anxiety is also a rejection of God's rule and a refusal to trust in him. This is a thought that says we can do it on our own without God. That I got this. I'm, I'm dealing with that right now with my kids, uh, especially my, my youngest right now. He's like, Daddy, I got this. I'm like, yeah, you might get this, but what you got may cause us to go to the emergency room. So you got to be careful while you're on the handlebars. But he still say, Daddy, I got it. When we go to the hospital, I'm going to say, didn't you have it? What happened? What we see here is that our devotion to God must be wholehearted to the extent that we value God above the fleeting value of worldly wealth. And what Jesus is doing is he's exposing this lie. There there are many lies that Jesus wants to expose in our heart. But one thing I love about Jesus is that Jesus won't stand for you to have any other God besides him. He's a warrior king. And whenever there is an obstacle, whenever there's what the Bible calls a stronghold in our life, Jesus is always apt and he's always desires to tear down those things in order that we may have full allegiance to him and to him alone. And here in this passage, Jesus is about to blow our minds. He's about to help us to see the the, the futility, and and, and he's going to help us to see the lie of the stuff that we believe in. He's going to expose this lie that the more things you have, the better you are. That the things that you should invest in are here, now. Um, um, uh, Your bank account, your shoes, all these other things. He's going to help us to expose the lie that the things of this world tells us that we should believe in. Notice with me in verses 19 through 20, the first exposure of the lie that he brings us to. He says this, your stuff is a bad investment. Your stuff is a bad investment. Look with me in verses 19 through 20. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth, rust destroy, and where thieves break in, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves don't break in and steal. Notice what Jesus is calling us to. He's saying, don't bank your future on stuff that is destined to be destroyed, damaged, or stolen. Don't bank your future. Don't bank your life on stuff that is destined to be destroyed, that's destined to be damaged, or destined to be stolen. You see, possessions are not inherently bad. I mean, I'm, I'm a product of that right now. I, I, I didn't bring enough clothes with me, so I went to the outlet. <laughs> Hooked myself up a little bit. At least I think I, think I, like, I like what I got. <laughs> and I, as I was buying stuff, I kept telling myself, James, your stuff is a bad investment. But I kept buying it, y'all. I kept buying it. I couldn't stop. Possessions are not inherently bad. They are actually good. But here's a problem with the stuff. They're just inadequate. Why are they inadequate? Because they are not God. Your stuff is not God. Enjoy your stuff, 
But don't allow it to become your greatest hope. Don't allow it to become your greatest desire. Only God can fill that void in your life. And he's telling us and exposing this lie that your stuff is truly, is truly a bad investment. Notice with me in verses 22 and 23, the next thing, the next exposure. Not only is our stuff as a bad investment, but look at verses 22 and 23. Your stuff also can blind you. It can also blind you. Notice with me in verse 22. It says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? That, that was just like other level. Like Jesus is going to have to like explain this to us a little bit. Because that just is like, whoa, Jesus, like we were just talking about like stuff. And then you got to the eye. What, where, where is that coming from? What he's saying here is this. Is that if your desire is primarily for earthly stuff, you won't be able to see life clearly. If your life is primarily for earthly stuff, then you won't be able to see life clearly. The eye in this passage is, is representative of the source of light to the entire body. And, and the proper functioning, it, it is a proper functioning of one small member of your body that illuminates the whole body. And what Jesus is saying here is that our stuff blinds us and it makes us stingy. That the more stuff that you have, the more stuff you want. Like I did at yesterday at the outlet. Darkness here is a perversion. It's a perversion at the very heart and center of a person's life. And what it, it, what, what the result of it is that it is a complete lack of vision. You can't see anything. And in historical and Jewish writings, a good eye always was connected to being generous or having a generous attitude or having a proper perspective on wealth. And a bad eye, contrarily, was all about having a stingy attitude or having an improper perspective on wealth. So hear what Jesus is saying. He's saying this, that our spiritual vision, that spiritual vision is our capacity to see clearly what God wants us to do, to see clearly what God wants us to do and to see the world from his perspective. When he says that we are blind, he's saying that um, we don't see the needs that we actually can meet because we only see threats that will actually take our stuff away. This is something that's definitely on my heart and mind, especially as I come in to, to lead this church. We, we don't want to be stingy people. Another thing we don't want to do in the same vein is we don't want to be condemning people. We don't want to be people who just give out of charity to make someone like us. We don't want to give to someone because we see their poverty and we want to help them get out of poverty without helping them to actually know Jesus. You see, what, what, we're, what God is calling us to as a church is he's not calling us to be a soup kitchen. A soup kitchen is set up for the have and the have-nots. The have-nots line up in the line and that those who are have are behind the table serving those who, who don't have. He's not calling us to that. What God is calling us to is a potluck. A potluck is what we had in this church. I had a, had a great opportunity. I think my first time coming here, we had a potluck. What, Nick, when we gonna have another potluck, man? We're gonna have to have another potluck. I, I don't need one. I don't need one, but I like them. I like them. They don't like me. <laughs> Potlucks, everybody brings something, and everybody gets to, gets to, to bring something, and everyone gets to take something. 
in this community, in this, in this community that we're in, we're not called to, to be a soup kitchen church. We're not to call to divide ourselves between the have and the have nots. In the poverty that we see in a Jacob's neighborhood, as we see their poverty, we should be reminded of our own poverty and our own need for Jesus. It's not poor you, it's poor me and you. Because I was a wretch, I was undone, and God came and saved me. And we give not our aspect of condemnation, we don't give out our aspect of charity, we give because Christ first gave to us. And that's the only right way to give. We're not giving to people so they'll be like us. We're giving to people so they may know Jesus and not just a good meal. This is the aspect of what God has called us to. Not, let's not be, let's, let's push away this, this soup kitchen mentality. Get, don't get me wrong, whoever works in the soup kitchen, nonprofits, praise God for the work that you do. But this is the church of the living God. And we're called to something different. And we're called to something better. And by God's grace, as a pastor of this church, I'm going to call you to that. By God's help and for his glory. Amen. 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 The last thing we see is not only that your stuff is a bad investment, not only can your stuff blind you, but lastly, your stuff may also enslave you. Look with me in verse 24. It says this, no one can serve two masters since either he will hate one and love the other or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Somebody says cannot. Cannot. You cannot. It's impossible. It is not feasible. It is, it, is, it, is, it is impossible to do this. There's no way you can serve God and money. Hallelujah to that. I love it what Jesus is saying here because he's reminding us that we worry. We worry that we don't have enough, so we work to get more, but then we also worry about losing it. You see, the anxiety that he's talking about here is the anxiety of gathering stuff for yourself because honestly, you don't believe that God is able to provide for you. I gotta get as much as I can. I gotta hoard as much stuff as I can. I have to get my 4K to a certain amount. I have to have so much money in savings. Now, don't get me wrong, he's not forbidding planning. He's not forbidding planning, but as you plan, know who owns it all. Know who owns it all. It's not you and it's not me. It is God Almighty. Psalm 24 says it best. It says, the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof and those who dwell therein. Everything belongs to God. If God had a problem with rich people, he would have to have a problem with himself. He says in the, in the word of God that the cattle on a thousand hill are mine. There's no one more wealthier than God. God isn't, he's not challenged and he's not concerned about the stuff you have. He's concerned that the stuff you have actually has you. That's what he's trying to free you from. Who's more wealthier than God? Bill Gates? What company can, has a better portfolio than God, the creator of all things? And this is the God who loves you, and this is the God who calls you his son and his daughter. Beloved, if you see God this way, and you know him to be this God who's able to provide, and you know your daddy is the, is the, is the greatest benefactor that the world has ever known, call out to him. Let him know your needs. Don't hide them behind what the stuff you can gather and the stuff that you can, you can gather on. Don't hide behind that. Don't shy away from the fact that you think that God doesn't care about those things. He knows your needs even before you know them. You, you, you even present them to him. 
Beloved, trust and know the God who is the owner of all things. Notice the lie that Jesus exposes. He goes through this progression. He talks about that we shouldn't be enticed by bad wisdom. Then he goes into the aspect that we shouldn't be encouraged to seek more than we need. And lastly, he talks about how we shouldn't be enslaved by the, very, by the, by the creation that he's created. The thing that he's fighting for here is that the stuff that we, the, the stuff we used to own now owns us. This is an example, and this should be reminiscent of what you remember in Genesis chapter 3 with, with, with Eve. This is reminiscent exactly of what Satan presented to Eve in the garden. It's the exact same thing. It's nothing different. Satan comes to her first, questioning God's instruction. Did God really say you can eat from any tree of the garden? Then he goes on and questions God's integrity. And after she says, she says, we can't eat from that tr the tree in the middle of the garden. Then he responds and says, oh, no, you, you can eat from it because you won't die. You surely won't die. And then lastly, we see how Satan questions God's intention. He says, because God knows that your eyes will be open and you'll know good and evil. The same progression that Satan is trying, that, that Jesus is trying to expose the lie of is the same lie that Satan always presents to us. He questions God's instruction. He questions his word in your life. He questions God's integrity. Does he really care for you? And then he finally, he, oh, excuse me, is he good enough to care for you? And then finally, he questions his intention. Does he really care for you? Is he able to provide? In light of the exposure of lies, notice how Jesus comes back at this. Notice how he gives us this positive aspect of the kingdom economic. You see, Jesus demands that his followers be wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly devoted to him. And there's two questions we need to ask ourselves. How do we know that God will provide for us? And then the second question is similar. How can we know that God is trustworthy? How do we know that God will provide for us? Look with me in verse 26 in chapter 6. He says this. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worthy? Aren't you worthy? Aren't you more worthy than they are? Notice what he says here. He, Jesus reminds us that we live in a world of abundance, not scarcity. We live in a world of abundance. God does provide. He always provides, even for the little sparrow. The black church, they used to have a, a song that we used to sing called His Eyes on a Sparrow. And because his eyes on a sparrow, I know that he watches. He cares about, about me. You see, when we're consumed with our perceived lack, we worry that's not, there's not enough to go around. There's not enough money. There's not enough research, resources. There's not enough to go around. So our possessions begin to possess us when we think we live in a world of scarcity. Jesus is saying, no, you don't live in a world of scarcity, of have and have-nots. When we meet Jesus at the very end in, in, in Revelation 19, there is a feast that's going to take place, a feast where the lamb who was slain is going to eat with us. It's a potluck, not a, not a soup kitchen. The, the God's provision is endless. His goodness is enduring. His kindness overwhelms us. Therefore, your possessions don't have to possess you. 
You see, God's provision is everywhere, and it is good. There's nowhere in this world that God's provision doesn't reach those who need it. Now, do we have systems? Do we have governments? Do we have policies that prevent everyone from getting what they should get? Absolutely. But it's not God's, it's not on God. God provided the resources. We in our sinfulness and humanity have decided not to share those resources equally with everybody. And that's the problem. And that's what Jesus is getting at. It's not the provision, it's the way in which we share that provision amongst ourselves. How can we know that God is trustworthy? Look with me in verses 28 and 30. The verses here say these, these words. It says, and why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown into the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, O oh, you of little faith? He, 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 Jesus is reminding us that we have a father who loves us. And he uses this question, this, um, this question that is uh, meant to, to invoke thought into our life. How much more? It's the greater versus lesser theory. And Jesus uses it all throughout this passage. If God would create us, would he not be able to sustain us? If God provides for the birds, he will definitely provide for you. If God beautify, beautifies the flowers, won't he also provide for your needs? You see, we have a big God who not only creates, but he's actually transcended and he actually knows the details of life. We have a God who knows all aspects of life, not just some of it or part of it. If you take me apart from my wife, I'm a, I'm a wreck because I can do the big things, the, the vision things, but the details, like moving here, we will, we, will lose, we will leave back like shoes and clothes. We'll have to drive back and say, yeah, babe, I'm sorry, I left the iron because the details of life are just not where I'm good at. The big stuff, ordering the moving truck, uh, hopefully getting a house, all that good, the big, the, the big stuff, I can do that. I, I can do that. Oh, yeah, I can do that. The little stuff, no, nah, not so good. Our God is not like me, thankfully, that he, or, or even us in this room, is that he both, he majors both on the meta and the minor. He sees it all, and he's reminding us that he has a great love for us that extends through both all the great needs of our lives and even the small, intricate details and needs of our life. So here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Will you trust Jesus? Will you trust Jesus? You see, the heart of anxiety is a refusal to trust God. He says this in verse 30. He says, oh, you of little faith. Notice he doesn't say that they don't have faith. He's saying that the faith that they have is depleted. It's inadequate. It's on E. And it needs to be replenished. Remember what we said from the beginning. If you want to be worry-free, learn to depend on me, me being Jesus. Learning to depend on him. Number two, our trust in God is not an irrational response to the chaos around us. It is actually a witness to the care and the goodness of a loving God. I love how Hebrews 11 puts it. It says, now faith is the substance. 
It is the reality, it is the confidence of things hoped for, the evidence or the proof or the assurance of things not yet seen. I need you to know that when you place your faith in Jesus, that's the only firm foundation that you can actually put your trust in. Because Jesus is the only one who has come into this world. He's lived a sinless life. He has died and resurrected for the forgiveness of our sins. And guess what? He's coming again for his church. If you want to put your investment somewhere, put it on a bloody cross in an empty tomb. Because that's the only currency that works within the kingdom of God. Not our money, not our pleas, not, our, not, not all these other things that the earth tells us we need. Store up treasure in heaven, Jesus says. And the way you do this is you trust God by trusting in God. Jesus invited his first disciples to trust him with these following words, follow me. Jesus invited Peter to trust him by inviting him to get out of the boat and follow me. Jesus invited Thomas to trust in him by encouraging him to touch the, the holes in his body. Soldier in Church Carlisle, Jesus is inviting us to church to trust in him by doing deeds that are solely dependent upon him. Now, as I close, I do want to acknowledge, listen, this is one of the things that actually attracted me to this church and to, and to actually even apply to want to actually be here as lead pastor is that I've seen the sacrifice you've made. And when Jesus says store up treasures in heaven, he's not just talking about financial. Yes, financial is important, but I believe he's talking about something so much more. He's talking about acts of, acts of obedience that are dependent upon him. I've seen members from Midtown, from Midtown Church come here and leaving networks of friends, leaving the comfort and the, 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 the preaching of a pastor you've known for many years, leaving contexts that you are familiar with, people that you're familiar with, community groups that you're familiar with. Church, we are doing this. You're storing up treasure in heaven through your obedience of coming and being a part of God, what God is doing in this church. I've seen members here at Carlisle Baptist Church who have allowed us to, to, do, to take down a whole choir loft um, and to redo the stage and to paint and to do new audio equipment and to do new things in the, in the children's wing. You are doing this, church. It's not something that we haven't done, but let's continue to do it through the grace and power and the knowledge of who Christ is. Amen? Amen. Store for yourselves treasures in heaven. We, we've, we've done a good job at the start. Let's continue to do so as we move forward. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the gift of today. Thank you for the gift of your son. Thank you for the gift of this church. We do love you and praise you. And we do honor you as king. Father, we do want to say thank you, Lord. I say thank you for the sacrifice, the many sacrifices that have been made to even make this church a reality. Lord, we do desire to store up treasure in heaven, not just through our money. Yes, that's important, but even through our obedience. Father, grow us in this way. Thank you for seeing our sacrifice and knowing the sacrifices we made, both those seen and unseen. God, would you take our little and make much of it and glorify yourself? We do praise you and thank you. Lord, I do also that you would help us to reveal. I pray for anxiety and those who may be even under feeling attacks from anxiety now. Would you free them with Holy Spirit? Would you draw near to them even now? I pray for a release, God, a release to know that in you we have everything we need and more. Reveal yourself in this way, not just today, 
but throughout our entire lifetime. In Jesus' name, amen.